Hello and welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Trey Scott, joined by college basketball's all-time career assist king, Jerry Meyer. Jerry, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. A, lot, a lot going on. I'm, str- I'm kind of struggling to keep up. <clears throat> we have these waves of recruiting news, you know, and um, we're in a flow, not a ebb right now. The content gods dropped a good one in our lap the other day with John Beeline leaving for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But first, before we get started, I'd love for you to take a moment and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. We're also available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. If you found us via the 24-7 Sports Media Player, just hover over with your mouse to that subscribe button. You'll find the podcast you're looking for. All right, Jerry. John Beeline, Monday morning bombshell. A few things to unpack here as he heads to the NBA's Cleveland Cavaliers, leaving Michigan after 12 seasons, two Final Fours. I think I want to start, though, with a broader scope of college basketball. Does him leaving... Does this make you think the sport is in trouble? Um, it might be part of the fact the sport's in trouble. I, I think the recruiting, cheating thing is an enormous issue right now in college basketball. And I think that's why you see coaches like a Beeline who are very receptive to moving to the NBA because you know they get out of that type of pressure and situation plus recruiting in and of itself is just so difficult it's so much work but um i I do think it's a major issue for college basketball the cheating stuff and i'm not you know but because beeline was known i I don't want to make a causal relationship here i guess that's what i'm trying to avoid i'm I'm not saying beeline left because of the pressure to cheat but it's tough and he's you know by all accounts running a clean program so when you think about that you look at the talent and it may be more so the talent he's developed at michigan and turned into professional nba players it's it's pretty remarkable and amazing and i think like 18 tournament wins which is tied and i don't know what the year frame is on this but i saw a tweet it's it was it was like him calipari k and like roy williams all tied at 18. yeah he's an elite coach and he was not doing it with the, the Zions and the RJs and the but, you know, the... but he got players there. You know, they were just so great at finding that guy that was ranked like maybe 50, 60. And at the end of the day, you're like, man, you know, probably we should have had him higher. But then also, the, you know, like Trey Burke, uh, they do just such a great job of making guys better pl- basketball players. But you are correct. I don't – I don't know if they ever like had a top 10 type guy. Uh, Glenn Robinson, he was very highly ranked. Stoskis is a great example of a guy they developed. I mean, you could go on and on. Well, and it has uh, to be the f- big boys with the Lakers. Yeah. You know. It has to be frustrating, though, over the years, Mo, Mo Wagner. Um, yeah, thank you. Over the years, Jerry, even this past season, they probably were not expecting to lose Jordan Poole. Probably definitely not expecting to lose yeah. uh, Ignace Bradzakis. I mean, those and, guys. Yeah, you got like 300 guys declaring for the NBA. And the rules are now, yeah, you can come back, but there's such a temptation to go get some sort of, I mean, it's your your professional career. You go start your job, maybe overseas. And I think, I think you hit it on the head. There's the recruiting, you're recruiting earlier and earlier. That's tough. You've got the sport is enveloped in this federal corruption trial. Every week, the college basketball headlines are, you know, bags of money. <laughs> and then you've got guys who are not likely to be first-round picks 
still testing the professional waters. And even yeah. Jerry, if they come back, you don't know that they will or won't for another month and a half. And you've got a scholarship yeah. situation to figure out. So you're saying we're looking at like an existential crisis I thought for college so. basketball? That's kind of what I'm hearing here. Like I've thought that about the NFL with the con- concussion and the rules and the struggles they have. I guess we're all in an existential crisis, but it seems very, maybe very appropriate to kind of use that label with college basketball I'll right I'll be now. chicken little a little bit. College football, this does not happen. So Cliff Kingsbury is head coach what, of the Arizona. What doesn't happen? The, poaching a big coach... Uh, a big name coach to coach at the next at the next level. The last time that happened in college football, oh, I got you. Bill O'Brien, going to the Bill O'Brien in 2014 mm. from Penn State to the Texans, and then in 2013, Chip Kelly left Oregon for the Eagles. I don't consider Cliff Kingsbury to count. He was the offensive coordinator at USC. He'd be just been fired by Texas Tech. But Jerry, Brad Stevens, obviously, and we'll talk about Stevens when we talk more about this Michigan coaching search. Uh-huh. He left for the Celtics. Billy Donovan left Florida for the Thunder. Tom Izzo, as recently as last season, flirted with the Pistons. John Calipari has been a popular flirt with the Sacramento Kings, loading up on Wildcats over there. It, it certainly feels like we're sort of hitting a point with college basketball where it's the trial and it's the one-and-done rule, and there's something's got to give. Yeah, I mean, maybe college basketball <clears throat> should be about student athletes and, you know, more like a Division three model. Of course, that ain't going to happen because there's too much money and we got television. And, I mean, you know, once you get to this stage, there's kind of no going back. And that's maybe the existential crisis we're having here is because we're working with this uh, charade that guys are amateurs. And they're not really – you're telling me Amani Bates, a freshman, and LeBron James' son, a freshman-to-be, are amateurs? You know, I just – maybe technically, but highly doubtful there. <laughs> but just the mindset, you know what I mean? Are you and so what, so what is college basketball then? It's in a – yeah, it's just a – it's a, merely a stepping stone, which we've talked a lot on this podcast about, which <clears throat> it makes recruiting – and who stays and goes and all that stuff, kind of, you know, fans, like, why would he go there? Well, because he has a relationship and he doesn't care about all the other stuff. He likes the coach. They, he feels good about the coach or, what you know, the parents feel good about it. And he's, I mean, he's thinking about college, but he's really thinking about the NBA. It's just a step. Do you, as we look ahead, this 2022 NBA draft might be the first time mm-hmm where high school prospects are permitted to enter. This is still not final. We we thought this would maybe happen with 2020, or right. I thought maybe a year ago. Yeah, that, So we'll yeah, see. We'll see, exactly. Jerry, do you think, so in that rule, and we don't know, uh, again, it's still so fluid. We don't even know if, if you go to college, if you choose to play in college basketball, do you have to stay for three years, like college baseball or whatever? Would you Do you think that would be better for the sport? than the current model of one and done. Like, would you rather have a year of Zion mm. and then this, you know, and, and everything it entails, all the trappings it entails of the amateurism debate and losing, you know, 230 players every summer? Or would you rather say, okay, I'm going to know who this team's crop mm-hmm. of players is for at least three seasons. What do you choose? Um, me personally, I'm choosing a year of Zion. Um, because I would much rather watch that. <laughs> so I'm going to watch Zion play basketball if you want me to watch him play in a college uniform. 
Uh, you need one and done. As far as what's, but that's just me, my personal, what I would want. I mean, knowing that a guy that I'm going to have a roster continuity for like three years, you know, this three-year cycle type thing you're throwing out there, that doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't excite me. I think that might excite a lot of fans who root for a particular team. You yes. Know? Like I'm, that's why I, I don't think I'm a good representative for what maybe college basketball should do as a whole. <clears throat> but, um, man, I mean, I, I love watching the, the freshman play, the elite freshman. I like it um, personally. I don't know. What do you think? I I think putting my fan hat on, I think I would rather go for the three years of continuity. Mm-hmm. I think it was always hard. And it's, it's the trend in the last 10 years of that guy going pro, he was hardly even a lottery yeah. pick to, oh, he should come back and be the top five pick to, oh, yeah, well, he's someone's number 52 player on their big board. He's gone. So we'll see. Jerry, let's, let's uh, pivot into Michigan coaching mm-hmm. search talk. There's no news on this because this was this came out of left field. But in going to our our Michigan uh, site at 24/7 Sports, the list Sam Webb put together. I'm just going to run a few names. And down he does list. a great job. He does a great job. That's that's where I've been looking. Yeah. yeah. So Brad Stevens. Yeah. Okay. Brad Stevens. I'll list the names and let's just discuss them. Porter Moser uh-huh. from uh, Loyola Chicago. You remember him last year from the Final Four run. Laval Jordan former assistant on that staff 37 and 31 and two seasons at Butler. And then I think I'll get some good stuff from you on this one. Juwan Howard, who ESPN's Jay Williams thinks could help fix the culture at Michigan, (laughs) which is laughable. Let's start backwards. The culture thing, you came and talked to the office today kind of talking about that. I I saw you having some fun with it on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I I just, I think Jay was just promoting this guy type deal, you know, and makes that quote. I'm, I'm sure Jay was like, once he got all the heat, it was probably like, man, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to help out Jawan. I shouldn't have put the culture thing in there. Well, then he, he kind of doubled down on it, though. He doubled down on it Tuesday yeah. morning. He said, when I say oh, culture, yeah. I mean the feel of it. He said, sure, they were winning, but did you yeah. feel it? Did you feel the the Fab Five-esque to it? Does that, that doesn't matter. That can't matter. Well, in terms of wins and losses, I don't think so. I mean, it can matter for what a fan likes, you know. Well, another name that's being mentioned with Michigan is Tony Bennett. So how's that going to feel when they start running the that Virginia, you know, hypothetically, if he goes there and they're running the blocker cutter offense and working the shot clock down? Um, I mean, I, I get what Jay's saying, you know. Yeah, the Fab Five, that, that, you know, it was like hip-hop enters, hip-hop culture enters college basketball and all that and it was fun it was great you know it was, I, th- I thought it was cool it created excitement you know duke wore the white hat michigan wore the black hat type thing which was you know fun and entertaining so you know i guess it's just a matter of preference you know um you i guess jay wants to see longer shorts and more dunks I, you know i don't know exactly what he would mean by the culture you liked this, the Jerry Stackhouse hire by Vanderbilt. Love you like kind of you like that for Vanderbilt. A lot of people didn't. They said, "Where's his head coaching experience? Where's his recruiting experience?" Mm-hmm. But you liked it. Would you like such a hire for Michigan? Well, the problem is <clears throat> I'm not that familiar with what kind of coach Jawan Howard is. So 
I hesitate to speak on that. I have no problem with hiring a quote, you know, alumnus type situation like a Jawan Howard. If he's a good coach, if he can coach, but you know, I just don't know enough. See, I knew Jerry Stackhouse can coach. I mean, I was, I'm more familiar with him. Um, so Brad's, I, I, you know, I got to plead the fifth on this one. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I need to do the research on Howard. Brad Stevens is a pie in the sky one here. Who knows? I think so. I mean, he's coming off a disappointing year, but still, I, I mean, it's hard for me to see it happening, but yeah. you know, the world's crazy. You are, I, I think you do. If you want Steve, cause yeah, I think Steven's one of the greatest coaches out there. Um, you make a stab at it, sure. But, and see what happens. That, it's tough for me to see him leaving the Celtics. I mean, you, you mentioned Tony Bennett. Mm-hmm. H- him and Jay Wright are getting a little, oh, they should go after him. If you are either of those guys, do you leave? Oh, I don't know. I You've know. won national titles. I, I have no like, idea. Like, how good is this Michigan job? I think it's a really good job. You know, I mean, compared to Virginia, <clears throat> Villanova, I mean, I would say all three are really good jobs. Uh, yeah, it's hard to quantify that, and it's. I stay away from telling, you know, feeling like I know what people should do. You know, I mean, you got to remember when you're talking about jobs and coaching. You have a family, typically. You have family life. <clears throat> you know, it's a family decision. Um, there might be, you know, I saw one quote on the Michigan board, <clears throat> our twenty four seven sports Michigan board. Um, a friend of a friend who's on the Virginia staff as an assistant, when they were told that Tony's name was coming up with Michigan, he was like, hmm, figured it would. I don't know, you know, maybe being closer to home is an appeal. So I guess I'm saying who knows? Who knows? (laughs) I mean, I can't get inside the head of Tony Bennett and where he wants his family to live and all, you know, there's so many factors beyond just like, oh, it's Michigan, it's Virginia. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. They'll go after Brad Stevens, I'm sure, and, you know, maybe they wind up with Porter Moser, but we'll see. Uh, Is there any way Nate Oates leaves Alabama? He issued a statement Monday saying he was happy. Right, I saw that, that, but it wasn't super convincing to me. I don't know the contract situation, but I know his name has come up, and, you know, a lot of Michigan people are like, wow, I wish the timing had been a little better. Maybe Rick Barnes gets... His, Rick Barnes, his another, raise. <laughs> another raise, another uh, raise. It'll be interesting. I'm sure they will run it better than UCLA run their ran their coaching mm-hmm. search. Jerry, pivoting over to Memphis, which honestly, in the last two weeks, I think, in looking at you know what our readers interested in, what are people who are watching our videos interested in, uh-huh. Memphis has kind of been the talk of college basketball. I think I think it's you know yeah beyond the FBI <clears throat> scandal stuff trials. I would win Penny, probably the number one story. Penny Hardaway's Tigers are number four right now in the 24-7 sports composite team recruiting rankings for 2019. They got Monday afternoon, they got a pledge from Boogie Ellis, a four-star combo guard, recent Duke decommitment. Now, that takes him out of the running for R.J. Hampton, which was maybe he was maybe leaning to Kansas anyway. Mm-hmm. But, Jerry, the Tigers still here. They got, they got some opportunity to, to end up with the, with the top two class, depending on what happens over in Lexington. Yeah. Precious, Precious Achua, five-star. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that, are you still feeling Memphis? I know Kansas gets a little I, buzz right yeah, now. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm still on Memphis with the crystal ball. Still, 
feel pretty good about it. Um, I think our Memphis guys do a great job. Um, I always look at Brooke Hansen, what he picks in regard to Memphis stuff. And I saw her today. He just picked uh, Memphis. But um, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I feel Memphis on that, but I don't think anyone has any really concrete or tangible type feel on Precious' situation. I do find it interesting that we see Memphis and Kansas in competition with these top guys. And then Kentucky's involved, too, with these players. Duke. So do you see where Memphis is recruiting now? Yeah. And this is like Calipari when he was at Memphis. They've become... They're they're right there with the Blue Bloods in recruiting now. They're kind of suddenly villains to the Blue Bloods. I mean, yeah, because Memphis has always kind of had that aura. You know, from yeah. back in the day, Memphis State. Yeah, you know, we are Memphis... Uh, like a regional feel because there's so many players and talent traditionally in Memphis. You know, they were fielding their team almost with all Memphis guys. The city took a lot of pride in it. And they kind of liked that little sort of bad boy image uh, to an extent. Uh, Dana Kirk was kind of that type of guy. Like he didn't mind um, that swirling around, you know, that maybe we're the villains. So I, man, it's exciting to me. Um, and I, you know, I've said it here earlier, and I'll stick with it. There's no, no surprise. I mean, when they hired Penny, it was like, oh God, look out when it comes to recruiting. And I think Penny can coach, but you know, the jury's still out. You know, is he a good enough coach to get it done uh, at Memphis? But man, I sure enjoyed watching his travel teams play. Um, they were great, and he did a great job coaching them, and he did a great job with Memphis East. Just putting some things in context. Memphis is obviously in the American mm-hmm. Conference, so they're not a, I guess, BCS or Power Five. So the last, the last great power non-Power Five classes in 2014, UNLV had the number four class that included five stars Rashad Vaughn and Dwayne Morgan. And then in 2013, uh, Josh Pastner and Memphis had the number three class that had five top 80 players, including Austin Nichols. So uh, they just won one tourney game that year. Memphis they went 22 and 14 last year. They've got the number one player in the country, James Wiseman. In the past week, they've gotten two four-stars, Boogie Ellis, Lester Quinones. You like transfer Rajon Tucker if he stays oh, in the program. Man. What I, are the I expectations? Think, well, my expectation is Tucker won't play there, oh. and he'll be in the NBA. Um, is that good? Okay. Yeah, this was a jolt for me because I had kind of forgotten about Rajon Tucker. I I'd scouted him when he was in high school. And he was freakishly athletic, so powerful, you know, just great thigh, core strength type guy. Just so explosive, excuse me, explosive, two-foot jumper, one-foot jumper. But his skills weren't that refined. And so he wasn't, you know, I think he was a fringe four-star. And he went to Florida Gulf Coast, maybe, you know, smaller school, obviously. And then he transferred to Little Rock. And now, <laughs> average twenty. So I watched, yeah. So I watched some. You know, I looked at his numbers and I watched some film the other night, and man, it was blowing me away because he still had that crazy athleticism, but now he can really dribble, <laughs> and he can shoot. I mean, he he looks like custom made for the NBA, if you're asking me. So, very good chance he gets good, you know, reports about his chances in the draft, and very likely stays. Sounds like he could maybe be there if he remained in the Memphis class, so he could maybe be their most important player. Like oh, yeah. Something. 
because we're you know I had an interesting discussion. Uh, I was on a Kansas radio show, and this was before he had committed to Memphis. So we were talking about him in regards to Kansas, and we explored the idea, like, if you re-ranked, or if you ranked him now, gave him a ranking, where would you rank? You would have to say, like, (laughs) high five-star, right? I mean, top 15, top 10 type player. So... Yeah, and his impact he would have. Immediately. Because Wiseman, here's the deal on Wiseman. He's very talented, he's good, but he's not like an alpha go-to scorer guy. That's not what he is. He's he's more of a big man who's a complimentary piece. And a a great one, and a huge one, you know. But he's not a guy who's like, let's get the ball to James, we need a bucket. Rajon Tucker, he's that guy. You know, and it's tough these days for post players to be that type of player. So that's why Wiseman still has such a high ranking because just the game's kind of evolved and changed. And typically now, if we need a bucket, it's going to be a Kawhi Leonard, you know, a wing player, a Tucker type guy, or a point guard. You know, very rarely it's going to be the post up guy. If they don't have Ray John Tucker, do you see when you look at this class? I don't know really how you feel about Lester Quinones, and I'm not saying that name correctly. But Jerry, can Boogie Ellis like? Does he have? Can he, can he in one year be a kind of their kind of go-to wing scorer? Or is, that, uh, is that too nah, much? No, he'll fast? be the point guard. I mean, he's going to score. Um, I'm looking at their their lineup right now. I mean, the recruiting class. Damian Bell, very good player, but I mean, he's a do everything but be a primary scorer guy. But I think he's going to be a very good player there. Dandridge, he's just a grinder. Do the dirty stuff, uh, type big guy. I I think Quinones is going to put up points. He's got a good body. He's big and strong, and he can really really shoot at six five. You know, I mean, every day the more I watch the basketball, the more important I think shooting is. <laughs> I mean, I think we sometimes overthink stuff, but um, kind of like the Louisville guy in the war. You know, big wow. big frame who can shoot I mean I love those guys I mean they're gonna they're gonna score points and then DJ Jeffries can score so they got some scores I I think Memphis is gonna be good I'm hoping Rajon stays because they Jerry I might make them a uh, a July final four pick if they get Rajon Tucker yeah and and then there's a good chance to add Precious so then you get sort of a a freaky athlete I'm gonna some talent's gonna be there I I would say next year with this class there's gonna be some expectations on Memphis and Penny. And then that's when it gets interesting. And then if it, if it isn't really good by the next year, then, you know, then it gets dicey. Well, well uh, I'm finally... He's not gonna, they're not going to give him forever. No. no they're going to give him some time. Because, I mean, Memphis loves Penny. <laughs> they love yeah. him some Penny down there. So he'll have some time, but, I mean, he's got some really talented players coming in. Maybe we'll... I'm, Looking at our producer Connor, uh, maybe make a little Question note. Time. Maybe a little. Well, yes, but also we do want to start taking podcasts on the road. So I'm just going to pitch now. We would love to maybe take a podcast to a Memphis Memphis barbecue joint this fall and catch a game. Sounds fun to this me. This looks like a fun team to watch. All right, Connor's back in the limelight. Connor, you asked on Twitter. Connor tap two four seven. Jerry, this is I think one of our best questions yet. <clears throat> So thoughtful. <laughs> I dared to dream that South Carolina making the Final Four would elevate the program in the eyes of top prospects. That does not appear to have happened. Any insight into why? Is it an inherent problem with South Carolina? Or does making the Final Four not give you the boost you might think? Indeed, Jerry, yep. since South Carolina made the Final Four two years ago, they have not made it back to the NCAA tournament. 
Right. I will start from the end of that question. I making the final four just for one year when it you know hadn't happened a lot prior to that. I don't know. It, I don't think it gives you much recruiting wise. Um, it certainly doesn't hurt. But if you don't, you know, like you like you said, South Carolina hadn't been to the tournament the two years after that. And then it just looks like a blip on the on the radar screen, and it's, it's viewed as an anomaly. And um, you know, South Carolina just hasn't really <clears throat> pursued those. You know, if we're talking like five star, high five star guys, I mean they they've recruited some and got some, typically regional type guys. But I, this whole connection of you know, I, I do think. Let me put it this way: I do think your success on the court very much impacts recruiting. Don't get me wrong on that. The two kind of go together. You know, you can't be good on the court if you don't recruit well. It's very difficult to recruit well if you're not good on the court. Uh, There is a relationship there, but things aren't going to drastically change just with one big season. I guess is the point, you know, you've, you've got to maintain it for a while. In uh, the first full class after the Gamecocks made the Final Four, they did not get any of the top 10 players in the state of South Carolina. That obviously included Zion. I'm not sure if that was ever going to happen, but, hmm. you know, Aaron Nesmith went to Vandy and then DJ Burns goes to Tennessee. In 2019, I do know that South Carolina fans were upset, a little bit at least. I don't, not getting Josiah Jordan James or Juwan. Yeah. Gary, two top 100 players yeah. from, from the Palmetto State. They did um, have players three and four go to South Carolina. Is Christian is Frank- Christian Brown this in this year's class? Uh, Georgia, South Carolina pick a uh, guy picked Georgia top 50 player. So yeah, it, is Frank when, Martin- you, when you break it down like this? This I'm no go ahead. Well, mm-hmm. I like what you did right there because a lot of people just look at the aggregate, but. You know, let's look at what makes up the aggregate. And when you name these individual players, like that made me feel worse about South Carolina's recruiting. Like when we actually, this guy, they lost this guy to them. They lost this guy to them. They weren't losing those guys to Kentucky or Duke other than than Zion. Zion. But I don't think they really had much of a chance in him. But that says something also because he lives right by there. Um, Vanderbilt and Tennessee. Yeah, that makes, you know. Georgia. Those are losses, you know, those are losses. There's no other way to put it. And the big thing in recruiting, when you prioritize a recruit and then you lose them, it really hurts because you've prioritized so much time and energy and work into this recruit, which, so that means you weren't giving it to another recruit. You lose that guy and it really hurts, you know. It'll be interesting. Frank Martin is beloved there, but I think... Something's got to give Connor a thumbs up or thumbs down. Frank Martin's there this time next year. Thumbs up. All right. Connor's a believer. Yeah. Took him to the Final Four. I do I do follow a few Gamecock fans on Twitter who are kind of ready to get some new blood in there. Are they wondering? Yeah. yeah I mean, he's you know. probably a tough coach. He's very tough, very defensive-minded. Oh, I have some Frank Martin stories. Yeah. <laughs> we can maybe share at a later date. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in that vein of old-school – Bobby Knight, my dad, <laughs> type coach is not afraid to yell at someone and get in their face. Um, it's hard for millennials to but, handle. But but he's a, you know, but he loves his players. Yeah, we we covered all that with the Tom Izzo. Oh, what millennials can't handle tough coaching? 
No. <laughs> that's a stereotype that's false. I agree. I think guys want to be coached. For sure. And, you know, and, but the harder you coach them as far as, you know, yelling or making a public display, see, I think that's a big deal. Because none of us like to be chewed out in public, right? You know, where everyone's watching. I mean, I think that's through the ages. It just was more accepted that it happened. I don't think it's necessarily bad that we're like, hey, wait a minute, you know, get yourself under control, coach. And you can, and that's why I, now we're here, we're rolling now. I, that's what I love about John Beeline, especially in terms of being an NBA coach. What I loved about Brad Stevens, um, I put this out on Twitter, but like this Beeline news made me think about when Stevens got hired by the Celtics. And this is weird. I mean, I got had some interviews, radio and paper interviews uh, because of that news, but I also just happened to have a bunch lined up. And like everyone was just so negative on it. Like, you know, Butler's coach, he's going to coach the Celtics. And I was just like, well, why not? I mean, obviously he's a great coach. Look what he's done with Butler. And, you know, the overachievement from what you'd expect from that program, especially back then, was in a smaller conference. And then his demeanor. Because NBA players ain't going to take some coach throwing his jacket and yelling at him. I mean, he can throw his jacket and yell at the refs. But it takes a, a patient and special coach, a coach who understands the player makes way more money than I do. <laughs> and... Sometimes he's not going to listen to me and he's going to run whatever play he wants to run or he's going to do this. And it takes a certain character to be able to do, you know, to deal with that, a certain personality to still be in charge and have control, you know, to, to, to weigh the balances between those things of letting the players do what they want. So which leads me to one other thought. <laughs> I think your highest paid players, you better really be able to trust them. Because they're running the ship. I mean, look at uh, like what Le- LeBron. I was about to say. And, you know, so people are starting to question LeBron some. I mean, I've always been, oh, LeBron's the guy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a LeBron guy. But this year, man, I kind of lessened on that because I saw some stuff I did not like. I'm the same way. You know, so I just, I got called like it is. I mean, I love, you know, and then one thing I've learned this that's really hit me this basketball season and it, even in other sports. None of these guys are perfect. It's so weird. We expect them to be, you know, never to be a jackass, never to mope, never to pout. I'm looking back at my career and I was like, I had plenty of meltdowns and I was a little baby out there, you know, worried about myself. That stuff's going to happen. But back to that. No, you're if you're right. going to spend a lot of money on a player, man, because he's going to run it. I mean, it's kind of how it works. Who makes the most money? Right. <laughs> that gives you leverage, right, over everyone else. And you better hope they, they are of high characters in terms of work ethic and wanting to win. It's not – I mean, th- most most players – like Magic Johnson was regarded as a coach killer back when he was first going. Mm-hmm. So, well, because most great players are tough to coach. That This is a real dynamic here, especially in professional sports. Um, you know, most alpha – type guys are they're going to be difficult to coach it's part of what makes them great right you know and you know they're ball busters and they'll bust the coach just like they will the guy who's trying to guard them um so you got to learn to deal with that yeah good stuff jerry in the next few weeks we will be diving into 
Once the NBA Finals are set, we're going to have a special show where Jerry's going to share his recollections of the stars of the NBA Finals as they were recruits. So well, that, that should be fun. fun yeah. because, you know, especially I love if that stuff looking back. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit tough this year. It's like, oh, yeah, on to Tecumpo. Uh, <laughs> well, oh, Damian Lillard. Because yeah. most of them are mid-major CJ guys. There's guys we didn't rank right yeah. <laughs> or we didn't know about. You know, so Maybe we could talk about like lessons learned. and you know, Sure, I love that doing stuff. that. Yeah. And then another special series we have coming up this summer, once once the NBA well runs dry, we're going to talk about Jerry is going to give us his top 10 all-time players he's ever scouted at each position. It should be a really fun yeah. summer series. So thank you guys for listening. Jerry, good stuff. Yeah, enjoyed it. All right, guys. Uh, talk to you all later. <laughs>